This morning we're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. If you're visiting with us, we've been in the book of Ecclesiastes for the last several weeks. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 is where we are this morning. If you're unfamiliar where Ecclesiastes is, if you go to the book of Psalms, right after the book of Psalms, big book right in the middle of your Bible, and then go to the right, you'll find Proverbs, and then right after that, Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, we're going to read the first 10 verses this morning. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 1 through 10. Solomon, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it, whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward. For the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever. They have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Go, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not the oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. I don't get a lot of snail mail in 2019. Maybe that's the case for you also. A lot more email these days than, than snail mail. But when I do get snail mail, it typically tells me that I'm approved for something. It typically tells me I'm approved for a credit card. Uh, and usually it goes in the trash before it gets opened. Actually, always it goes in the trash before. I think I'm at 100% in the trash before it gets opened. I think it's interesting language that those come tell me, telling me that I'm pre-approved for something. That I'm approved to receive this line of credit or whatever it may be. And even, even though most of the time, or all of the time, it goes into the trash, it speaks to something that I desire. I think that we're hardwired to desire approval. We want to be good and acceptable to people. 
We want them to see our good qualities and praise us for them. We want to be accepted by, by others. I read a book this week called Digital Minimalism, um, something that's relevant to our culture. The author, Cal Newport, wrote the book to make the case that we need to understand the use of our technology better. That oftentimes we just dive into the newest, latest, greatest technology without vetting it before we go into it. Technology has advanced dramatically in recent years, and so this is a temptation for us. One of the critiques Newport makes in, in, uh, in the book is of social media. You probably knew that was coming. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, etc. And the critique that he makes draws a connection to what has been recently classified uh, by the American Psychiatric Association as an addiction. The addiction to technology is a form of behavioral addiction. Behavioral addiction, according to the American Psychiatric Association, is a form of addiction that involves a compulsion to engage in a rewarding, non-substance-related behavior, sometimes called a natural reward, despite any negative consequence to the person's physical, mental, social, or financial well-being. Similarly, Adam Alter, a business professor with a PhD from Princeton in social psychology, he claims that social media uses a couple of means to keep you coming back over and over again. These have been linked to this addiction. It says two things. Intermittent positive reinforcement and the drive for social approval. To put some legs to this, in 2009, Facebook added a like button. You know the like button on Facebook? And Alter says, it's hard to exaggerate how much the like button changed the psychology of Facebook use. What had begun as a passive way to track your friends, for those of you who were on Facebook pre-2009, lives, lives, uh, friends' lives now, was now deeply interactive. And I, I don't think that Alter is crazy. In, in my estimation, he's not crazy. Some of you don't care about social media, and that's, that's fine. But something like Facebook that has 2 billion users worldwide and has a company value of $500 billion, something is happening in our culture, and we need to be aware of what that is. As the church, we need to be aware of what's going on whether you use the service or not. Especially when someone like Sean Parker, the president or the founding president of Facebook, pulls back the curtain for us and says this, the thought process that went into building Facebook was all about how do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible. And that means that we need to sort of give you a little dopamine hit every once in a while because someone likes, or comments on a photo or a post or whatever. Those two things that Alter proposes that we're hardwired for, intermittent positive reinforcement and the drive for social approval, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and services like these have given us quick, easy ways to receive that positive reinforcement and social approval with very little cost and very little 
effort on our part. The smartphone in your hand right now, I see you all, the smartphone in your hand right now or in your pocket, all you got to do, snap a cute photo of a puppy or your child, post it, post gets likes, you receive positive reinforcement. You share a quote from some book that you're reading or a Netflix show that you're watching. Post it. Get lots of comments. I love that episode. Gain social approval. Post an article that supports your opinions and biases. Receive feedback from peers who think like you do. Feel validated. This this is not something that Solomon is unaware of. Now, he doesn't understand the technology that we make use of. But he is aware of these things that that we're hardwired for. Positive reinforcement, social approval. He knows the human desire for those things. Again, a few thousand years earlier is where we are. But our culture's solution to the desire for approval is to turn radically inward. So, we see this data now. 2019, Nine or ten years after Facebook introduces the like feature, we see this data now. And we're starting to say, well, what do we do? I do feel the draw to find approval from my peer group or those who I'm around. What then do I do next? Our culture's solution, again, is to turn radically inward. Our culture says, Well then, don't look for external sources of approval. Don't look outside of yourself, but turn inward for approval. This is very interesting. And the world has been doing this for quite some time, but our generation, not unique, but has a specific way of talking about this. The age that we live in, the culture that we live in, has a specific way. Approve of yourself. That's good enough. Inner approval is the best approval there is. Charles Taylor, a philosopher, writes about this idea. I could give you his credentials, but all you need to know is he's a really important voice in matters concerning our day and age. He wrote a really important book in 2007 called A Secular Age. In that book, Taylor contrasts modern Christian believers and unbelievers. And about believers, he writes... There is this notion of receiving power or fullness, in our case this morning we're going to call that approval, in a relation. But the receiver isn't simply empowered in his or her present condition. He or she needs to be open, transformed, brought out of self. Taylor properly assesses the the Christian's position. But then about the modern unbeliever, Taylor calls the default position for our society. He writes, for modern unbelievers, the power to reach fullness, again, which includes approval, is within. And again, this notion isn't limited to our day. Philosophers in our past have been thinking this way for several hundred years. Immanuel Kant popularized this idea as a rational beings. We have the ability to set our own personal standards that we live by. That includes the standards by which we receive or gain approval. 
So, as Christians, we have to ask ourselves, where does our approval come from? And how does the author of Ecclesiastes intersect with this idea? Why do we look to external sources so readily for our approval? The world says the reason why you're so bent on gaining approval is because of your childhood. Because you were conditioned that way as a child, desiring to earn the approval of your parents. And so, some of us may struggle with desiring the approval of others if we grew up in a home that really didn't show affection. Or you grew up in a broken home. Now, this isn't entirely wrong, but it does miss the reality, a very important reality that comes to us in Scripture, that we were actually created for approval. We were made to receive approval from God. Consider God's first word when creating man in the Garden of Eden. Right away, the Bible in Genesis 1, 26 and 27 Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the seas and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then at the end of chapter one, God looks over everything that he created, including man and woman, and he looks over everything, and he calls it very good. That is a statement of approval. Man and woman have the unique privilege of bearing his image. Bearing God's image means that we as people are the most accurate representation of what God is in all of creation. Not nature, not a sunrise, not a sunset. The people who bear God's image are the most accurate representation of who God is in all of creation. We are set apart to show the world who God is by taking responsibility for all of creation, by exercising dominion or control over creation. Just ourselves, what does that mean? It means that we are hardwired for approval. God looks out and says, it is very good. Not just our internal approval, like Kant or our culture would argue. We also need to know and learn that our approval isn't just a product of our childhood, or our desire for it isn't just a product of our childhood that we should then reject it. But rather, we need to find approval from the correct source, God himself, and live in light of that approval. And that's what our text takes us to this morning. So that's our goal this morning as we look at Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verses 1 through 10. Our goal this morning is to acknowledge that receiving approval is in fact good and it is a created desire. We also want to acknowledge that God is the only true and lasting source of that approval. The preacher of Ecclesiastes 9 is going to make that clear for us. And then, and then finally, we need to learn to and begin to live in light of God's approval. So we're going to unpack these 10 verses here and, and make sure that we get to these things. Acknowledging that receiving approval is good created desire, that God is the only true and lasting source of that approval, and that we need to learn and begin to live in light of his approval. So... 
What we find here is going to help us learn to live life in light of that reality, that God is our source of approval. So look with me in verses 1 through 6. This is our first section of this text. Consider with me, everything that has existed under the sun is dead or dying. That's a super depressing phrase, but that's the argument that he gives us. Everything that exists under the sun in the world in which we live right now is dead or dying. Again, we've talked about this throughout our time in Ecclesiastes. This isn't unfamiliar. David Gibson writes a book on Ecclesiastes. He calls it, the title of the book is Living Life Backwards. And the reason why is because so much of Ecclesiastes is pointing us to live in light of the end. What's coming for us? Well, death. Death is coming for each and every one of us. You've heard the phrase, no one makes it out of life alive. That's, that's us. That's everyone in this room. No one makes it out alive. And that's what Gibson is driving at. And this is one of Solomon's main points. In light of the reality that we all have an expiration date, how then are we to live? What are we supposed to do with that information? Ignore it? That's what we often do. But Solomon says, don't do it. He acknowledges in verses 1 through 6 that everything that happens is in the hand of God. God is sovereign over everything. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. God is sovereign over everything. And the reality of life under the sun is then that the righteous and the wicked, they both die. The good and the evil, they both die. The clean and the unclean, Solomon says, they both die. The one who sacrifices, the one who does not sacrifice, they both die. The good one, the sinner, the one who takes an oath and the one who doesn't, they will all pass away. The one, no one, will outlive death. Look at verse 3. He says it very clearly. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to them all. What is that event? That event is death. That's what he's talking about. That event is death. This is the living by those who know that they will die. The dead know nothing, Solomon says. Look at verse 5. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. So, in light of the reality that we all die, does that have something to teach us about where we seek approval? Because when we get to verse 7, we're going to find that it does. So the answer is yes. I'm just giving you the answer, yes. The, the love and hate and envy of a person, Solomon says in verse 6, all die with them. The advantage of those who are still alive is that they still have something to give, something left to do. Even a very strong, powerful creature back in verse 4 when it dies, loses its power and strength. And a worthless, mangy, table-scrap-eating mutt has something to give while alive. This, this all goes to show that we are subject to life under the sun. Again, life under the sun. But life under the sun is temporary. And Solomon wants to drive that home for us. 
was to drive home that life under the sun is temporary. That which is given by temporary creatures is also temporary. Dead things can't give, living things can. And if everything under the sun is temporary, like Solomon says it is, then we begin to understand why we must seek God for our approval. And not man, including self, but why we must seek God for our approval. We see this this argument build then throughout this text, and I'm just going to give this to you right now. Dead things have nothing to give, including approval. Verse 4 again, he is joined with living as hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. Dead things have nothing to give, including approval. Alive, then the next step, alive but temporary things have something to give. They can provide temporary approval. What comes next? Alive but eternal things, mainly God himself, has everything to give. He can provide never-ending approval. Where do you want to seek your approval? And something that will surely die and its approval along with you or along with it? Or something that is eternal and lasting and can provide never-ending approval? So that leads us then right into the second point where Solomon dives in, in verses 7 through 10. Now, we don't get this, this directly stated, but this is what is implied. God is eternal and is not subject to the under, under the sun effects. So we need to recognize that if God is eternal and not subject to under the sun effects, then that which he gives to us is eternal, not temporary. These are some really important verses in Ecclesiastes. Like if you're only hearing this sermon and you only listen for like the next 10 minutes, this is really important. If this is the only thing you take away from this entire series, take this away. Well, I want to be clear because verse 7 is a hinge verse for us. It brings us into thinking about God, his eternality, and the fact that he can provide lasting approval for us. Verse 7 is this hinge verse. He says, Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Now let's be clear. This is not a YOLO verse. If you know what YOLO is, YOLO is like a popular phrase a few years back that stood for you only live once. And what it meant is that it would be motivation to do something wild at best, probably radically immoral or criminal at worst. And so people would just say, yeah, YOLO. So if you're like saying, should I bungee jump or not? Then your friend would probably just look at you and say, YOLO. Like you only live once, go bungee jump. Solomon isn't telling us that it doesn't matter what we do because we only live once. That's not what he's saying here. And yet sometimes that's how verse 7 is interpreted. This is not a you only live once, so do what you do. do, do, do you do you. That's not what this is. The phrase, God has already approved what you do, has significant meaning. But don't go rob a convenience store. Don't go outside in shorts and flip-flops in 20 below weather. Even though you might be tempted to, you got like three minutes. Don't do it. And then say, well, God has already approved what I do. 
Don't do that. In fact, it's quite the opposite of that. Earlier, I said that I get snail mail only a little bit, and that oftentimes it says that I'm approved for a credit card. That is a form of approval. I am approved, and therefore I can participate in the approved activities, like a new line of credit. If you're approved by God, this is what verse 7 means then, if you're approved by God, you can participate in the approved, God-approved activities. That sounds super mechanical and systematic. So here's what I mean by that. Here's what Solomon means by that. Moving forward into the New Testament. If we trust Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, then we are joined to Christ. His benefits become ours. It's an idea that come up a lot in Ecclesiastes. God has now approved of you because of the gift of his son that he gave you. He did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us all. And God loves you so much that he went to incredible, even unfathomable lengths to approve of you. Not based on your performance, not based on how hard you work or how nice you are, but because he chooses to give it to you. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. He freely gives it anyway. Just rest in that for a moment. Just take a moment. Rest in that for a moment. Listen with your heart, not with your ears right now. God, the creator of the universe, sustainer of all things, approves of you in Christ. Not because of who you are, not because of your work, but because of who Jesus is and because of his work. Your sin separated you from God and he could not approve of you. But God did not leave you in that state. He sent his son with whom he was well pleased and he crushed him so that the approval of God might rest on you. I love what Charles Bridges writes about verse 7. He says, Bright indeed is the sunbeam of divine favor. The way is now opened. Friendship with his fallen creatures, who has no right to expect anything but eternal banishment from his presence. The blood of the sacrifice has made the consecrated pathway. Through this medium, all his thoughts are peaceful towards you. If you are in Christ, all God's thoughts are peaceful towards you. The true, meaning, the true means now to enjoy the creature is to find this acceptance with God. Doubt not his fatherly heart. Expect nothing from him but good. Expect no good from, from any other quarter. Christian, God has approved of you in Christ. You don't need to perform to have his favor. You don't need to just get a little bit more done this week to earn his friendship. The temporary approval of man cannot hold a light to the eternal overflow of approval that God has for you in Christ. Your heavenly Father feels towards you right now 
this moment a way that you probably can't even begin to fathom. You may, in this life, have desired approval from an earthly withholding father. God has not and will not withhold his approval of you. Heaven is erupting with approval for you. You are on God's mind, his beloved child. Parents, you know the sense of pride that you feel when you look at your kids. God feels that towards you. Just turn up the intensity about a billion times. We believe that. Maybe you're here this morning and you think that God is just angry with you. Just look at my life. Look at what a mess it is. God has got to be angry with me. Do you believe that God approves of you without hesitation? For those of us who are in Christ, this is the case. We need that prepositional phrase, though, in Christ. Outside of Christ, this is not the case. For those who are in Christ, Christian, you have no reason to doubt that God is unequivocally, unshakably, and unreservedly for you. As a loving father, as a kind and gentle, caring friend, as a welcoming host, you, Christian, have God's approval. And as one who has the approval of God, now you are able to participate in the approved activities that the preacher talks about in Ecclesiastes 9, 7 through 10. Mechanical sounding, approved activities. That sounds mechanical. Let me try and communicate this in a way that is less rough around the edges. As one who has received the approval of your loving Heavenly Father, you are now able to flourish and grow in this life as you go about your life. You now have the ability to flourish and grow in this life as you go about it. Flourishing looks like what we see, a list here in 7 through 10. Eating joyfully, drinking merrily, celebrating enthusiastically, loving undividedly, and working heartily. This is the list of approved activities for those who have received God's approval. Do you, do you want to, we want to make things so spiritual. We, we're, we look at this and just say, this is not a spiritual list. This is a list of things that I kind of got to do. We need to begin to think about every moment as one that is set apart for God's glory. Not just, not just here. This is really important in the life of a believer. The commitment to meet together and gather together as God's people once a week is incredibly important. Don't hear me say that it's not. But just as that's incredibly important, so is our eating, our drinking, our celebrating, our loving, and our working. Don't over-spiritualize the Christian life. It's a simple formula. 
eat joyfully, drink merrily, celebrate enthusiastically, love undividedly, and work heartily. This list of approved activities shows us what it looks like to be approved by God. It means flourishing despite the realities of under the sun. We have an expiration date coming. How could we possibly flourish with that in mind? Right here. This is all possible because the approval that we need and so desperately desire that we were created for comes from our loving Heavenly Father who is not subject to under the sun effects but is above them all eternal and unchanging. So that leads us to draw a conclusion. Several, several conclusions that are all going to be woven together. Let me ask this question. This is going to be directed at you, Buffalo City Church. If you consider this to be your church home, please consider this question. Wouldn't the people of Jamestown be radically transformed if they were to observe us, Buffalo City Church, flourishing as those approved by God? It's a rhetorical question, but I'm convinced that the answer is yes. I am convinced that the answer is yes. Wouldn't the people of Jamestown, those people that you interact with at school, at work, your neighbor, your softball team, wouldn't they be radically transformed if we were, or if they were to observe us, Buffalo City Church, flourishing as those approved by God? Our mission here, as stated, is we exist to make disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ. This one's on me, guys. I feel like maybe I've done a real poor job of communicating what this means. And this morning, I'm going to attempt to rectify that. This begins with Ecclesiastes 9, 7 through 10. Eating joyfully, drinking merrily, celebrating enthusiastically, loving undividedly, working heartily. If we, as a church, were to walk in on Sunday morning or into a community group, or just into our daily activities, if we go about these things rooted with a belief that we are approved by God, I am convinced as a church we will make disciples. You know people in your life who claim to be Christians, but they're always walking around with a scowl on their face acting like the world is ending, acting like that expiration date is the next three minutes. Maybe it is. I don't want to follow a Jesus. You're following if following him looks like what you look like. Charles Bridges said, it is indeed too rare to find a real Christian, much more rare to find a joyful one. Some of you in this room need to acknowledge your sheer lack of joy and repent. 
Because it's a direct affront to the, and the denial that God has in fact given you his approval through the sacrifice of Jesus. If we were to consistently eat joyfully, drink merrily around a table full of friends and family, laughing, enjoying ourselves, even crying together, which is not opposed to joy, we would make disciples. We've said this. Intimacy begins around the table. Solomon gets it. Do we? We've said it. We sit down with our friends and family and enjoy a meal because it is intimate. It represents intimacy. A lot of stories in the New Testament, in the Gospels, we see Jesus eating. And we read through the Gospels and note how many times he's eating over and over and over again. He's sitting down around a table with people. Tax collectors, prostitutes, Pharisees, his disciples, etc. Why does Jesus eat with these people so often? And why do the gospel writers care? Because eating together is an expression of approval and acceptance. That's why it was so scandalous when Jesus sat down with a prostitute or a tax collector or just a general sinner. Now, Jesus wasn't in those situations approving or accepting them just the way that they were. That's not what he's doing. Although some people would like you to think that. Jesus wasn't saying, you're just all right, don't worry about it. What Jesus is saying in those instances through his actions is that through him, Jesus himself, those people could have acceptance or approval from God. Being intimately joined with Jesus is what it means to be approved by God. Jesus would go to the cross for you, for me, for those tax collectors he ate with, for those prostitutes that he ate with. He would go to the cross and the free gift of salvation would come to them also. And so we can invite others into our joyful eating and drinking around the table. Our joy and merriment are a result of having the approval of our Heavenly Father. And that those who sit around the table can be welcomed into God's family through Christ. We sit down and eat, that's what we are saying. For some of us, this seems radical. For others, it's like, okay, this is a, a weekly activity for us. But for some of us, it seems radical. We have to ask ourselves, are my mealtimes joyful? Would they be more joyful if I intentionally acknowledged this as a God-approved activity? It's not a Bible study. Is this really God-approved? The answer is yes. This week, try praying and thanking God for for mealtime, not just a quick little, thanks for this fruit. There's a regurgitation of words that you've said 3,000 times. But pray that you would be filled with joy and consider that your eating is designed to remind you that you in fact have God's approval. And then invite someone into that space. For some of you, it's been a really long time. You'll come up with excuses, no doubt, probably before you get home before lunch, do it anyway. Invite someone over, a neighbor, a coworker, someone you don't know well, just, just enjoy others. 
The people Jesus ate with were people who weren't like him. Invite someone around your table that doesn't look like you. Socioeconomically. What about ethnically? What about someone not in your age group? What about someone who doesn't know Jesus? Your peer group is nice, but the kingdom of heaven is going to feel really uncomfortable when we get there and lots of people look radically different than us, including the first century Palestinian Jew who's sitting on the throne. If we were to eat joyfully and drink merrily around a table full of friends and family laughing and enjoying life, I am convinced, friends, Buffalo City Church, we would make disciples. Don't over-spiritualize this. This is a God-approved activity. Do it as those who intentionally realize it is a God-approved activity. Similarly, won't spend as much time on this, but if we were to celebrate enthusiastically, we would make disciples. Do you have anything to celebrate in your life? Maybe the answer, you feel like the answer is no. Does anyone around you have something to celebrate? Celebrate with them. Take opportunities to celebrate birthdays or anniversaries, milestones, kindergarten graduation, promotions, personal breakthroughs, etc. Graduation from high school or college. Do it in your community groups. Find out everybody's birthday and anniversary. And if no one else does and no one else asks the question, be the person to initiate that conversation. What's your birthday? So that we can eat cake. And do it enthusiastically. We can celebrate these things freely because we've been approved by God. And then consider your marriage, and if you're single, consider the marriages of those who you know at Buffalo City Church. If we were to love undividedly, we would make disciples. That's what Solomon does here. Do our marriages reflect that there is abundant evidence that we have been approved by God? Do our marriages reflect that? Men, are you present at home? Do you ask your wife how she's doing emotionally? Do you look her in the eyes and tell her that you love her? Look her in the eyes. You may have said, I love you 300 times last week, but did you look her in the eyes? We can love undividedly, enjoying our spouses, caring, honoring, respect them. Women, do you respect your husband? Or do you treat him like the burden that he is because he makes more laundry? Respecting loving, undividedly. Look at what he says. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life. If we were to work heartily, we would make disciples. Not just to grind it out day after day. We're tempted to do that. That's what the world does. But come to work as those who are not approved by our work, but approved to work to the glory of God. So that takes us back to our question at the beginning of the conclusion. Wouldn't the people of Jamestown be radically transformed if they were to observe us, Buffalo City Church, flourishing as those approved by God? We don't need a robust discipleship program to do this. We need a table and some food. 
We just need to be people who truly believe that they are approved by God through the sacrifice of Jesus who desires to live and to, who desire to live like that's true and who want others to have the approval of their creator also. You can eat and drink joyfully. You can celebrate enthusiastically. You can love undividedly. You can work heartily when you realize that you are approved by God and you don't need to earn his approval. It's already yours in Christ. The church can be a drain on a community like Jamestown. It's the reality. The church can seem sometimes like a drain on the community. People roll their eyes when they think about church because how joyless and unenthusiastic we are when we get together. How divided people seem inside the four walls. That is the most common objection that I've received of those outside of church who don't attend church in Jamestown. People are divided and they're all their political issues and blah. I don't want to be part of that. And if we we're real about it, church like that, it's not awesome. It, it's terrible. So as we go this morning, let's do these things together. Will you commit to this with me? Buffalo City Church, will you commit to this with me? That's rhetorical. Three simple things. Just think about these this week. This is it. Make plans to have dinner with someone. Your place, theirs, doesn't matter. And then each night leading up to that, even if it's like six months away, each month leading up to that, pray individually or pray as a family that your time would be full of joy and enthusiasm. Because it's a God-approved activity intended for those who have been approved by God. Two, find something to celebrate and just celebrate it. Find something to celebrate. Surely there's something. If it's not your life, find someone else's. And invite others into that celebration. And then third thing, much more ethereal. Consider where you might be looking for approval that isn't God. Consider where you might be looking for approval and meditate on the reality that God has given you his approval in Christ. And if you're here this morning and you know that you're seeking approval in all the wrong places, or maybe you've just given up entirely and your heart is just calloused and cold, you don't know where to find approval. And you don't even know what it means to have approval from the one and only true source. Would you come talk to me? I'd love to talk to you about that. Mark right here, he'd love to talk. Blaze right here, one of our elders. We'd love to chat with you about what that looks like and what that means. We'd love to share with you more about Jesus. And we'd love to simply pray for you if that's the case. Friends, if you're in Christ, you have the approval of God. You do not need to look anywhere except him. Let's pray.